0: TGIF, I I got your TGIF right here. You have Manson Mitchell right here. Thank you, Eric Kramer, for that fine introduction. Twice on one Friday. And, uh, gosh, it's good to be back live on air. Thanks, Jody LeVon, for a great week, last week, and we'll do it again soon, I'm sure, but we are live. Suzanne Mitchell and myself. Suzanne, say hello to the good people.
1: Hello, good people. <laughs> and the bad ones, ha- too. They're happy uh, first day of summer.
0: Yay, yeah, woo! it is here. The solstice has arrived. Happy solstice, happy summer, That and now it, in Florida, It's sweating time (laughs) and in Seattle, hopefully this year, you good folks are going to be spared at least the worst of wildfire season, which has become a Western phenomenon that we know about and fear nationwide. I hope we're luckier in 2019. Let's say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you today, sir? I'm doing very, very well and uh, sweating to the oldies. I mean, if there's the, you know, the
1: retirement communities down there, they're definitely gonna be uh, hurting it down there in Florida. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, like it hasn't been hot already in May and June. <laughs> <I> know, <right? laughs> there's there's no distinguishing between one day and the next. When, once it gets to May and June, they're all just hot and Life sweaty till about October. Life is rough. Yeah. You know,
0: but in uh, Seattle, I guess it's been a little bit unseasonably warm with an early advent to summer. And uh, is that true, Benny? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I don't know. It's still too early to tell. You know, it's it's the first day of summer. We're we're just gonna go from here beautiful well let's let's just set aside all this concern about the weather because as mark twain said many many years ago everybody complains about the weather but nobody does anything about it so and that has a double meaning in the era of climate change and climate denial but that's a subject for another day suzanne we have an esteemed guest and a good friend of ours reverend lisa johnson she is well ensconced and much respected at the sarasota center of light but what she has to say to our listeners and the truths that she has absorbed in over 50 years of metaphysical study and practice are applicable to anybody walking this earth and we thought it was high time that we brought her on air with us why don't you give her her mad official props and then we'll bring lisa on the air
1: Reverend Lisa Johnson is an ordained spiritualist minister, teacher, healer, and counselor who has dedicated the majority of her life in the healing arts and the study of metaphysical spirituality. Her training took place in London where she trained first as a nurse at the prestigious St. Bart's Hospital where she met the world famous healer Harry Edwards. He became her mentor and teacher and always told her that she would travel to Florida and pursue her love of teaching and healing. Lisa has her practice in Sarasota and offers a unique modality of mediumship, combining healing and counseling together that brings about results of health and balance, working with the mind, spirit and and body. We'll be sure to give out her contact information after the break, but in the meantime, we are so happy to have her in our Sarasota studio today instead of on the telephone. Welcome to Manson Mitchell, Lisa Johnson, your debut time. Glad to have you here.
2: Delighted to be here with you both.
1: We're delighted to have you too, and since it is your first time, Lisa, we want to make sure that we... First of all, introduce you in a very proper way, a proper English way, and that is for you to give a little bit of your background, uh, because you were alive as a child in a very interesting time in history, and it is part of who you are as an adult today, the fact that you were alive during the bombings in London in World War II. So I wanted you to give a little bit of your background.
2: Well, that's very interesting, Suzanne, because I realize now later in life that um, that experience of the bombing and what we all went through has really served me well with the um, the ups and downs of life. I was in fact a child there and um, lived in London and we lived a strange experience and strange life every night the bombs would come in every night. We would wait because the sirens go off. And as little children, we were given little siren suits to wear. And we had a little gas mask we had to take everywhere we went. And when we heard that awful sound, and I can, I can still remember that, we immediately had to go to our dugouts. Now, if you had a, a home, a freestanding home, Most homes had a dugout in their garden. And it was concrete, made of concrete, and down we went and the lid came on. If you were in apartments in London, you went to the underground. So we went through that every night. And I think when I look back on it, one learns a lot from these experiences.
1: One of the most interesting things, and, and this is after knowing you for years, is that one day, it just in casual conversation, you talked about meeting Winston Churchill.
2: Oh, yes. yeah. That, well, I met him a lot, actually. Um, my father worked for Winston Churchill. He was actually his, um, I guess I can say that now, he was his personal spy. And because my father had the biggest advertising agency in England, um, Winston used to send my father undercover. This was before the war started to Germany to find out what was going on. And my father actually went to that crow's nest where Hitler had that building up there. So Winston used to come many weekends, and the two men would sit there talking this really serious stuff. And I used to sit on a little we call it a poof, I'm not sure what you call it in this country, but I would sit enthralled with what these two men were talking about. So yes, Winston was a frequent guest, a very dear man, a very dear man. Not a lot of people can say that.
0: No, absolutely not. And isn't it characteristic of the British character, Lisa, in two ways. People, many times, they alter it to suit their message there with captions, but that sign, keep calm and carry on, and it has the crown at the top. We're all familiar <laughs> with that, keep calm and carry on. That was very British and very much vintage World War II as a kind of national response to this existential crisis.
2: Yes, um, a stiff upper lip, and that's what we lived by. I mean, when you'd think you'd wake up in the morning or you, you'd come crawling out of your dugout And your neighbor's house may well be gone, totally blown up. Your own house can be gone. So you develop this strange protection, I guess it is, as if you're viewing a video. But the terrible thing that sticks with me to this day is immediately my mother and my father setting into action and helping the people in the neighborhood who had lost their homes the dragging out of bodies, the the screaming, the appalling destruction that would face most mornings. And I think that's where my fire in the belly started for healing, for helping people. I think it started right there, right then.
0: Fire in the belly for healing, the ability to carry on, and with characteristic British dry wit, The other thing i wanted to mention is that for years afterward it was very common to hear brits refer to world war ii as the recent unpleasantness on the continent
2: (laughs) yeah yeah we, we we are rather strange if drama occurs you don't talk about it in fact you totally ignore it you just go have a cup of tea that's what you do in times of trouble you go put the kettle on and you make a cup of tea
1: I like that little bit of a distraction. That's a nice thing. With having that as your background there, and, and watching your parents helping other people in London, I, I heard you say that this may have really put you on this idea, this, this path of healing. You, you did go to nursing school at some point. But there's a there's a connection somehow between your childhood and the next iteration of Lisa Johnson, which had to do with being interested in healing, not just the physical body but the spiritual body as well. Was there a point where you said, we are both physical and spiritual? Is there, is there a point where you were being drawn to uh, a, a religious life, a spiritual life, something that was bigger than, than you?
2: There was, and it presented itself at that time of wanting to be a nun. But I found out if I wanted to be a nun, um, I couldn't go and learn about medicine, which I was fascinated in. And also, my elder brother had been a monk. And he didn't like being a monk, but they wouldn't let him demonk himself. (laughs)
1: Oh, my. (laughs) So
2: my father, a very dignified gentleman in the dead of light, went and got a large, large ladder and my brother climbed the ladder and escaped oh so my God. the very thought of i mentioning that i wanted to be a nun set my father into his very victorian disapproval so nursing became my um, my plan my brother on the other hand went into the air force and he was one of those famous pilots that landed the planes in Germany, taking um, spies in. And then he would land in a field, and he'd come and pick the spy out, which was very, very dangerous work. And that's what my brother did during the war. With
1: this idea of healing and going to nursing school, at some point, you had to be drawn to the idea of not only healing the body but of healing the soul at what point in your career and what point in your nursing did you decide that you wanted to look into the metaphysical in addition to the physical
2: the answer to that is really rather embarrassing when i was nursing and on night duty, the um the doctors would come in at night and I was say we had wards of like 36 people and I could go with them. And we're talking about late at night, 11 o'clock p.m. And I could tell them what the disease was, what the diagnosis was. I mean, I'm kind of horrified when I think back on those days, but that happened. And also I would know who was going to pass on, but I didn't know how I knew and I didn't even question it. So to answer your question, it wasn't until later on with the story of Maisie that I realized that there was a gift here. Maisie, and this is much later after I'd left nursing, I had taken a job at a hotel the south coast of England. Maisie was a bartender, a very nice lady. Every time I looked at Maisie, she had horns coming out of her head. Now, this really disturbed me. It disturbed me so much. I went to the local doctor and he said, you're having a nervous breakdown. and We need to send you away for two weeks. So that's what they did. Came back to work the next day. Maisie comes on duty, and there were the horns. So I, I stood there really disturbed. A gentleman next to me looked at me and said, don't worry. You're psychic. And now, I thought he meant psycho, and I was even more upset. And he said, no, I need to introduce you to a lady here in Portsmouth. This is the South of England. That was the beginning of my spiritual work. Maisie and the Horns.
0: Maisie and the Horns. And ultimately, Lisa, what was the significance of repeatedly seeing these horns?
2: Well, to this day, if somebody lies to me or is deceiving me, I see the horns. And I have to keep, <laughs> I have to keep a very straight face and um, just tuck it in my um, little computer mind and say the trust is not with this person. They have the horns. It's spirit's way of telling me, don't trust. Don't go there. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that.
0: We have, we have a lot of traffic with Lisa Johnson, so now we're put on notice. <laughs> might as well give it to her straight because she'll see through your baloney. Unfortunately, and you
2: know, that is a point. There's times when these spiritual gifts or psychic gifts, it's not always um, a fun thing to have. There's times I've, I've really wished I didn't have that gift because it's caused quite a lot of pain.
1: I I can well imagine. So having left um, nursing and being uh, identified by somebody as a psychic, now I've got the big question here. Who is Harry Edwards? Oh, my boy.
2: I was nursing one night on, on night duty. And again, you picture the scene in these London hospitals. You've got 36 beds, swing doors behind it. And in front of you have a desk where the, the nurse, the head nurse, sits. I mean, it's like long white flowing hat, old-time type of description. Doors open just before midnight, and in comes a lady who I knew was the mother of a young man that was ready to die within probably two or three days. And she asked me if she could take this healer, Harry Edwards, in to see her son. Of course, it was totally against the rules, but I did anyway. I took her in this room. There's two rooms in these London hospitals that we put the people that are ready to pass. So we go in and, and this gentleman and he was ordinary looking man, you know, looked a very nice man, He sits on the bed. This young man was, I would say, 18, 20 years old with leukemia, and he was at that horrible stage where the hemorrhaging had starting, and it's not a pretty sight. Harvey took his hands and he said, young man, let's see what we can do about this. He made some passes, he said a prayer, and he left. So I, I go off duty that next morning, not coming back for two nights. Thinking I'd come back and that very sweet young boy probably will have died. Well, no, he wasn't. He was sitting up in bed drinking cocoa and looking at magazines. It was a miracle. And that was Harry Edwards. That's how I met him. And I was absolutely determined when I finished my nursing and I graduated to find him and learn everything I could from him. And that is what I did. He became my mentor, my friend and taught me everything I know today.
0: Did telling the story of your witnessing his work, being a nurse at the station that night, seeing him do his thing, was that part of your introduction in a way that won his confidence? I can imagine a Harry Edwards being able to size people up pretty quickly.
2: You know, Gary, I really don't know because he was in healing mode. Um, We didn't really greet each other that day. I was merely the head nurse that took him into the room, stood there while he did it and saw them both out of the door. No, um, he then came down to Portsmouth where I lived in the south of England and he did a lot of healing at the spiritualist church there. And that's where I introduced myself. Funnily enough, This very story is in one of his books, the actual story of the young man with leukemia. So no, I really met him more personally at the spiritualist church in Portsmouth.
0: And one thing about spiritualist churches in the UK, I'm told by my British friends that it isn't like in the good old days, but nevertheless, there was a time, and it was a spiritualist minister that told me this some years ago, there was a time when in England and Scotland, for example, you would have spiritualist churches in the same way that here in the States, we have a multiplicity of Protestant churches, Baptist churches, Methodist Presbyterian churches in the neighborhood. But over there, the popular churches, for the most part, you had the Catholics and you had the Church of England, naturally. But it was quite common to have more than one spiritualist church within a radius of a few miles.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The spiritualist churches became so popular. What happened? Uh, probably in the eighteen hundreds and early nineteen, spiritualism was very popular. But you're Annie Besant. You've got all of some of the amazing writers of that time. And then Mesmer came on and got a very bad name, and spiritualism sort of died. Then you had World War Two, and all the men basically went to war, and thousands and thousands never came back. So the amount of grieving people in England at that time, spiritualism then started to raise again, and that is what really brought it back. And that's really um, you're right. But the nice thing about the spiritualist churches, they band together. They their ministers go to each other's churches. It's very supportive. Little different to what I have seen here, where I would say they do not appear to be quite as supportive. Very interesting.
0: And so much more to be said. Why don't we take a break, Suzanne?
1: Uh, good idea we are talking with Reverend Lisa Johnson we are finding out about who Harry Edwards is and after the break we're going to talk quite a bit about spiritual healing as a modality and so stay with us through this brief break and thank you for listening to Manson Mitchell on Alternative Talk AM 1150 the preceding audio was via a Skype call
0: Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk
1: 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Reverend Lisa Johnson. We played that just for you, Lisa. Uh,
2: I recognize it.
1: And the group. Mm -hmm. And anything you want to say about the
2: Beatles? Well, a little story about the Beatles. Um, After my first marriage um, dissolved, Uh, um, I went to work at a hotel on the South Coast and the Beatles used to come down most weekends that they weren't doing something up north. And my um, boss at that time, he was actually related to them, like second, third cousin or something. But they were they were young, they were naughty, they were a handful, and it was wonderful to see them playing and um, just singing and making up things. And
0: was this before they came to America?
2: Yes. Okay, yes. so there was
0: always there was a form of, of Beatlemania emerging yes. in the U.K., yes. and we caught wind of it, particularly Ed Sullivan yes. and Walter Cronkite, two famous American names of the media. And the next thing you know, there's an invitation and a contract, and they come over yeah. here, and the rest is history. But you saw them when they were just starting out and trying to get a grip on fame. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: And they would be what they call routining. They would be pl- playing you know, their music. And the, the interesting thing, they had that different beat. So I would sit in my office sort of typing, and they had that, which made them famous, that that extra beat. That the mercy beat. Yeah, is that what it was called, yeah. And so it, it was wonderful. And my little daughter then was about four or five years old, and she would sit. At the bottom of the stage there, just totally struck listening to them. It was a wonderful time, wonderful. Mick Jagger actually also routined down there. He routined that um, song, Satisfaction, there. I'll never forget that one either. So it was a great experience, a little different from spiritual healing, but um, definitely a fun time in my life.
0: Winston Churchill, the Beatles, Mick Jagger, you kept some pretty fine company. I
1: did. Did you have a favorite Beatle? Paul. He
2: was my favorite, too. Paul. Yeah. yeah Paul. Okay. He was always the more sensible one. And his wife was adorable. Yeah. yeah, yeah the, the others were naughty. They were just naughty. <laughs> We'd have to get them ready to go up to London to, you know, do a jig or something. and And getting them rounded up to go was such a handful. Became part of my job. It amazing, fun. actually, now I think back. You know? yeah. That yeah,
1: was fun, yeah. We're, we're going to talk a little bit more about spiritual healing, but I didn't want to fail to make sure I gave out some contact information for you.
2: Uh, you do distance healing. I love distant healing. Um, Harry found in the end um, that distant healing is just as effective as contact. Now, having said that, there's always a caveat. When you've got bones or something like that or a dislocated shoulder, hands-on definitely is better. But with so many different diseases, distant healing is good. And the important thing that we found in the research was it is better when the recipient, i.e. the patient, doesn't know that the healing is coming. Oh, that's interesting. And because yeah. if we say like 7 o'clock we're going to be doing it, They're sort of tense. They're kind of, oh, am I going to feel it? Oh. Yeah. So all my distant healing usually starts about 11 o'clock at night, and I do it pretty much every night, very busy doing that. Oh, my gosh. But also with animals.
1: I I heard you say uh, a moment ago if somebody, like, you know, dislocates a shoulder or something like that, they need to... See a doctor. When you talk about your spiritual healing, you're not really talking about uh, replacing going to see a medical doctor,
2: right? Oh my God, no. Absolutely not. I mean, Harry did everything he could. When he first started going public with his healing ability, anybody, a nurse, a massage therapist, or a doctor, that had anything due to spiritual healing had their license removed immediately. It was it. It was over. So Harry was the one that worked for 13 years proving the validity of spiritual healing, took it to Parliament, and got that law removed. So no, very much wanting the doctors to work with the spiritual healers. It's It was way back then. A slow process but it's it's certainly come together much better now but we never interfere with that it's adjunct it's an add-on there you go
1: thank you yeah. thank you for saying that yeah and so uh tell us a little bit about spiritual healing because there are a lot of healing modalities available a lot of metaphysical ways that people talk about healing um they might be using stones or crystals, they might be doing Reiki, they might be doing any number of kinds of healing. But what distinguishes spiritual healing from some of those other modalities?
2: I love that question. And and this is the answer. If you think you cut yourself with a knife, the first thing you do, you grab a tissue or something and you place it on it, right, to stop the bleeding. Immediately, the automatic higher mind of your body goes into action, lowers the blood pressure so the bleeding isn't so bad. It increases the lymph to the cut to clear out any bacteria. It also decides to build a bridge to create the scab. This higher intelligence tells the scab when to fall off, that the skin underneath there has to be an intelligence behind healing and that is what harry was determined to prove so it is that higher intelligence that we have so it isn't a certain religion it isn't a certain creed color or anything it is the human being's natural god-given right that the body is a self-healing mechanism The healers are able to be like putting the plug in between the vibration of that higher intelligence and the vibration of whatever mode of healing is necessary. That is why you need a healer. They're the transformer. So you have your patient, you have that higher intelligence, and you have the healer, three people.
1: I have often said that the body heals itself and if it didn't I would still have cuts and scrapes from when I was four and five years old so obviously the body does heal itself and that's where it's coming from the idea of a healer is to speed it along or to remove a negative thought what what is it that that the healer is between the higher consciousness of the person and the person's physical body
2: you go back the answer to that is you go back to the natural law like attracts like so it really comes down to energy vibration right right and you have to have a transformer just like electricity to make that happen because when the higher intelligence is springing down these healing rays, which they do, they're just like an x-ray. They can be so hot, you have to have a transformer. And the healer is a transformer. There's times when I'm doing absent healing that my hands are so hot that I know I'm cutting back the strength of that healing, which is being directed to the patient, you are a transformer. Now, having said that, as you become more engrossed and you study, you begin to sense the etheric body. The etheric body is the blueprint of our physical bodies. All disease starts in the etheric so your advanced healers are able to feel that change that vibratory change using the chakras in their hands the healing comes down the central channel down the hands and out of the palm of the hand and sometimes you will actually feel that energy coming down you have to have your transformer doing that my, my
1: guess from what you're saying is that in the case of something like medical intuitives, yeah. that they are seeing a problem in the body perhaps even before the person knows that they have a problem yeah. there because they're seeing the problem in the blueprint, in the, the etheric exactly. field. And, exactly. and so that's why they can say, you know, have yeah. this or that checked out. Go, go see a doctor and yeah. have them check out your, you know, whatever
2: internal organ is going on. And that's exactly what we do, because we can't frighten somebody. Right. So somebody comes to you for a healing, and, and you're checking this, Eric, and you feel there's a problem with the heart. The last thing on earth you say, oh, my gosh, you've got a bad heart. Maybe it's time you go check with your doctor. Have a checkup. You Just bring it into the conversation. Okay. Yeah.
1: So a, a lot of that is, um, it, it's a, a psychic ability to get into the spiritual body of a person. The etheric. The etheric, which, mm-hmm. which is it is it correct enough to say it's a spiritual body as opposed no, to your... No, it's different.
2: The etheric body okay. is a blueprint of your body. Okay. And it's about an inch away from your skull. And if... If you look at somebody against a white wall, you can squint and you actually see a slightly whitish yellow line. It's really cool.
1: Well, I'm going to tell a very quick little story on you, Lisa, if that's okay with you, Gary.
2: Yes,
0: please.
1: The, this was a, a personal experience that I had where uh, Gary and I went to help decorate for Christmas and get all the Christmas decorations up in the sanctuary one year and for some reason as I was getting into the sanctuary something happened where I turned the wrong way turned my knee and my knee became puffed up and extremely painful and I did not know what I had done all I knew is that somehow I had turned that knee the wrong way and so I was hobbling and I could hardly step on it and I was being very tender with it and you said sit down and let me let me just you know be with your knee (laughs) and and so I I had nothing to lose I was in a lot of pain and I I said okay And so you and I sat together for maybe 10 minutes, no more than that, five to 10 minutes. And then you had your hands around my knee. And when you were finished, you said, Okay, how does that feel? And I stood up and I was absolutely pain free (laughs) in a matter of that. period of time that you had your hands around my knee and I just I was in disbelief I could walk around normally there was not a single ache not a single pain and I have told that story repeatedly to people because I couldn't believe what I was experiencing and it was instantaneous that's spiritual healing that spiritual healing. What I'd like
0: to know is how did you feel the next day because I hear you skeptics out there they claim well it's the power of suggestion you can get that from a stage hypnotist.
1: No, the next day I felt fine. There was never any other pain in my knee ever again.
0: You felt that it it had was complete been dealt
1: with it, it was handled. It was absolutely complete within 5 to 10 minutes it was done and it was it was healed.
2: Yep, that's how it works. Now, having said that, it isn't always instantaneous. No,
1: and I wanted yeah. to say yeah. that as well. Yeah. That happened to be very yeah. fortunate on my part. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of things
2: take some time, some time. to do. Um, I remember that incident well. And when, and I really do, when I placed my hands on that knee, it was like you had put something just slightly out of adjustment. Okay and this is where my wonderful Harry Edwards comes in. You take the energy and you adjust it energetically not with not with your hands not like a chiropractor. you allow spirit to make that adjustment. and because yours was a new injury, not one that had been chronic, it was able to be caught quickly and immediately solved. That's how it works.
0: Well, and thank you for sharing that story. That was amazing. I mean, yeah. I never heard you were there. Yeah. Yes. I mean, things happen in this life, but that thing didn't happen again. And the relief was immediate and lasting. That's an important point. Well, while time permits here, Lisa, I wanted to get a bit into something that we discuss in a superficial way now and then on the show. But with you here, I would love to get your explanation of what has become known as the Claires, these oh. various abilities. And I'm very curious to know, among all the Claires, are there people who have all of them, while others only have one or two that they can access? What is all that and how does it work?
2: Okay, the Claires, the dreaded Claires. Um, we have five senses, right? And when we activate those five senses, we then activate our sixth sense, which is the psychic sense. So the clairs, the clair being sight, you know, clear vision actually, clairvoyance, that's the eyes. Most people that are psychic have one clair that is working more than the others. And if you are a teacher, it's important to have them work on that particular claire because once they have got that one functioning well the other clairs begin to develop. Some people have all five clairs, some people work on clairvoyance and clairaudience which is to hear. Okay, the thing that frustrates me as a teacher is when people, the beginners are not taught clairvoyance is seeing with the eyes, you do not see with your regular eyes. Okay, always a caveat in this, occasionally you do, but mostly you do not. Spirit shows you the sights or the visions in your brain. Spirit produces these sights into the right side of your brain to your central nervous system it is then activated the third eye that eye that our spirit eye that we have between the forehead and the eyebrows you see the picture in your mind and if only they would explain that because you have some of these beginners saying i don't see anything because no one has explained that same with hearing and again, occasionally you'll hear it with these ears. The hearing is the same, comes in the right side of the brain, goes to the central nervous system, and is picked up by the auditory nerve. Claire audience. Claire audience. And then you've got, I call it Clairsmell. smell. Ah. smell. It's got some long-winded name. Clairgustient, taste. Right. Now the most important one to know is clairsentient. Clair sentient is your gut. That is that gut feeling we all have. And I bet Gary has that one. I have a feeling that is clair sentient. Most people are vibrating on their clair sentient ability, the gut chakra.
0: That is the case with me and with many people of my acquaintance. What gets on my nerves about that, Lisa? is with clairsentience you know and you know that you know but you can't explain it as though you were putting an equation on a blackboard so that you satisfy the skeptics if you say this is what is going to happen we are headed down this path don't do this not a do b or else you can see it perfectly clearly and they'll say prove it how do you know that and you don't until it happens
2: Well, if you're a psychic, what you do with a skeptic, you just bring in one of their relatives, and you bring in a bit of information there's no way you could have known. (laughs) Good one. Then they start to say,
0: hmm. Yes, I've seen that done. I've seen that done where they talk about, well, your relative, the wife beater, or whatever and this is a perfect stranger. I've seen eyes get very wide in that circumstance.
2: Because it's very difficult to explain to someone the the psychic world. The other thing where there's a lot of confusion is between the psychic and the mediumistic. If you go to a psychic, that psychic is going to pull information out of the ether. All our thoughts, everything we've done is hanging out there in the ether. A psychic can pull that information in. A medium is different. A medium can ask their guide to bring in a departed person. Totally different. And then your medium will be seeing in their third eye area, the person that they bring in, the relative. Um, an example of that would be, Gary, when we were talking on the phone the other evening, your father came in, uninvited am I there?
0: <laughs> <laughs> he just shows up. He
2: showed up, and there he was, and he had something to say. Now, that happens.
0: You call that looping in. <laughs> and and I do. that I love that because you will, and this is borne out. I mean, I'll, I will just tell the listeners that Lisa is exceptional in this regard. When, when spirit loops in with a message that you can clearly see, yeah. you will hear and you will see. And then you articulate it as best you can. And I will find the messages extremely relevant. And from time to time, if that's what's called for, eventually the thing happens that you predict based on circumstances beyond our control.
2: Correct. And and I hate to use the term looping in, but that's what it does.
1: When, when Gary's father came to you the other night, did you first see him or did you first hear him?
2: I saw him. Oh, you first saw yeah, him. Yeah, he, he, he was being very determined that he wanted to say this to Gary. It you... was Father's
0: Day for one thing, he wanted to get through. Oh, yeah.
2: Um, How did you know it was Gary's father? That's a very good question. I class sentient. I just, I just knew because okay. I, I don't have a visual. Okay, Gary's It's right. almost
0: like an right. energy signature.
2: It is an energy. It it's exactly everything is energy. It's like wavelengths. We're on these wavelengths. When you want to tune in to an entity, you've got to tweak it. You've got to find the frequency, like the old AM/FM radios. Right. You know, we get on the right wavelength. But You've got to tweak that. And when we're teaching mediumship and we're teaching people how to do this, it's very, very important that they understand that.
0: I wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to get in touch with you and... Let me just say that your phone work is exceptionally powerful. Distance healing is nothing new to you. You're quite comfortable employing it. And people have their testimonials. People of our mutual acquaintance speak extremely well of you and your abilities. In fact, you're the go-to gal when it comes to distance healing when they have some urgent physical problem or an emotional distress of some kind. If somebody wants to avail themselves of your services, how would they do it?
2: Well, the best thing to do is call me on my telephone, and that is um, 941-321-6548.
0: Go ahead and repeat it.
2: 941-321-6548. And I will always get back to you. I do a lot of work and also with animals. I love working with animals. Um, Distant healing is so amazingly powerful for them. Very good.
0: And with animals in particular, it's not like they can... Well, I'm going to take that. I almost said that they can't tell you what's wrong. They can't speak up and tell a veterinarian what's wrong. But their bodies, in that way that I still don't understand, do communicate to you what is wrong. And you deal with that energetically.
2: Yeah. And and when you do that, you get the visual. You get your clairvoyance. It's like an arrow. In fact, I do have a um, website, actually it's on Facebook, called Arrow Speed Distance Healing for animals. I do a lot of work with my sister in England on this. Um, You send, I get a picture of the animal. They usually send it by email. And then looking at that animal, I can make the link. You know when you're in, it's clairsentient, you know when you've got the link, and then the healing just goes to where it needs to go. It's really that simple.
0: And then the last two minutes we have—it's been such a pleasure. It gets to be like a blur, and there's so much more we could talk about, which means we need to have you back soon. <laughs> but when we talk about the uh, the Weltschmerz, the world pain, what people go through, the commonality of our distresses in this life—what is the best approach someone can take? if they know in advance they can't solve the world's ills, but they can be of assistance as far as their own abilities will allow. How do you coach people to do that?
2: I think if I've learned anything in these last 50 years about self healing, um, helping oneself get through difficult times, you finally come to the point where you understand other people can't do this for you. You have to go with them. I know it says in the Bible, you know, that wonderful peace within, knock and you shall enter. There's a lot of truth in that. When you go within and you allow yourself to go to a really relaxed state, you will be amazed what support you get. It, it can bring tears to your eyes. Unfortunately, we can't find that deep understanding in others or expect other people to do it for us. As souls, we came down here and we were given this lifetime. We were given our free choice. And there's times we mess up. So we go within. We start seeing what we can do to make things better. And you get so much emotional help.
0: Thank you, Reverend Lisa Johnson. Wonderful to have you with us. It will not be the last time. And Suzanne, coming up here on 1150 AM.
1: We have Christine Upchurch, followed by Susan Harmon, followed by that great show, American Road Trip Talk, with your host, Gary Mance.
0: It's like a half hour on the open road in a convertible and we look forward to
1: with the today. top down
0: we're going to talk to co-founder of American Road Magazine oh. Thomas Arthur Rep today that's going to be a great time so please stay tuned to Alternative Talk AM 1150 you don't find it any place but right here where you are thanks and have a great weekend everyone